0: Hey there, my name is Kim, and this is my podcast, Power Up Your Performance. I believe that we have the power to rewrite our stories, change the trajectory of our lives, pour love into the world, conquer monumental challenges, and that movement can be a catalyst for change. Let's grow together. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance. Hey, hey, welcome to the show. My name is Kim Peek, and I am so happy you are here with me today. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to talk a little bit about some of the biggest stumbling blocks you're going to face when it comes to achieving your goals. Now, that could be the big spring marathon that you might be planning. It could be a fitness goal. It could be a business goal. But as you move forward forward, With any type of goal, there are some common stumbling blocks you're going to face. One of the first blocks you're going to face is that life will get in the way. It always does because we are living busy lives every single day. You're living life. You're going to face this block when your client needs you to do one last thing before you leave for the night. You're going to face this block when you have a sink full of dishes and can't find a shred of clean clothing. You're going to face this block when you've been up all night with a sick kid and then don't have the energy to get out of bed to go to work in the morning. The fastest way to get around this block is to remember that you can start over as many times as you need to. Don't let that be your excuse for giving up and quitting. What I see happen most often is that when we get jostled out of our routines, we give up too easily. Don't let one bad day or bad week keep you From achieving your goal. So, what if you miss a training session? Tomorrow is another day. Get right back up and start again. You only fail when you stop trying. The second block I see people face a lot is that your enthusiasm for this big, bright idea that you were so jazzed about a few days or weeks ago is gonna start to fade when things get tough. You're gonna face this block when you can't remember your why. Now, you all hear fitness gurus save us all the time. Find your why. But what does that mean? And why is it important? Training is hard. It gets hard. Showing up for yourself every day is hard. And if your reason for training or working toward that goal isn't something that's extremely important to you, you're going to give up when things get tough. It's that simple. The best way around this block is one of my favorite training tools. That's right journaling. Take time each day just to write in your journal. Write about what's important to you. Write about the good things and the bad things that happen. Write about that negative thought that popped into your head that made you want to quit and explore that. Record information about how you felt when you were training, what you did well, what you need to work on, what you thought about as you're trained. That's going to tell you a lot about your mental state and it's going to tell you what things you need to look out for, what things you need to start addressing so that you don't give up on yourself. And again, that goes for training or working toward a business goal, working toward helping your kid get all their college applications in, whatever it is, remember your why. The third block you're going to face is burnout and injury. If one of the previous blocks doesn't get you, this one will, unless you're strategic about how you train and work. You're going to face this block because you went all in, you pushed too hard, you didn't take the recommended days off, you didn't make time for friends and hobbies, or sometimes it's just plain bad luck. But most likely, it's all those other things combined, whether that's a physical goal like training for a race, or rather, whether it's a work goal or some other challenge that you're facing where you're really having to dig in and study and roll up your sleeves and do the work. You have to make time for the people that are important to you to be around people. You have to make time to get outside in nature. You have to make time to relax and rest your brain. And when we're talking about training for a marathon or doing anything physical, the best way around this block is to train smart, to train responsibly. This means listening to your body and learning what it's telling you, and then learning when it's time to dial things back. It means taking rest days. This also requires that you really get in touch with that little voice in your head so you can learn the difference between when your body is telling you it needs rest and recovery and when it's just that voice that says, I don't want to do that today and wants you to take it easy. But when it comes to injury prevention and taking care of your body, today's guest knows all about it. By the end of this episode, you are going to be all fired up taking care of your fascia. Chris Kadowski is the founder and CEO of Influential Health Solutions and has spent the last 20 years training everyone from Navy SEALs to professional athletes to busy professionals. His key focus is on eliminating pain in the body through a systemic approach to heal people from the inside out. He has written more than five books on it, including the Back Pain Bible and the Head, Neck, and Shoulder Pain Bible. You can learn more about Chris, his books, and his coaching programs at influentialhealthsolutions.com. I hope you enjoy this interview with Chris Kadowski. Welcome to the show, Chris. I'm so excited to talk to you today.
1: Incredibly happy to be here. Thank you very much.
0: So let's just jump right in. Give us a little bit about your background and how you got started working with people who are in pain.
1: Okay. Well, pretty much like most people, when they get really, really good or uncommonly good at something, they first have to start with themselves. They first have to fix themselves. And that's what I did. So I was 14, 15 years old. I'm running, jumping, playing basketball. And the next day I wake up and it feels like they're are razor blades in both of my knees. So my mom takes me to three different doctors and they all take x-rays and they say the same thing. This is the normal bone structure of a healthy teenage boy. And my mom's looking at me like, Christopher, are you is this like a cry for help? Are are you joking around? And I'm like, mom, like, look at me, I'm limping. Like, do you really think I want to walk around and, and limp and, and look like this? Like, no, it, my knees are killing me. So this is the early 90s, and we really weren't that privy to a lot of the things that we're going to discuss today, even in the westernized medical system. And one of the big reasons why I'm trying to do this little podcast circuit here is because we're still not. Okay, we're, we're still treating pain like it's this foreign object that's come from another planet, and we just want to numb it. It's like we don't want to understand it how do we just contain it? How do we not feel it anymore? And for me, I never really had that option. So I just kept on playing sports and my knees kept hurting more and more. And then finally, one day when I was 30 years old, I had completed, I was living in Hawaii at the time and I completed a uh, trip around the island on my triathlon bike. And when I got back, it was about six, seven hours of pedaling. I remember putting a football game on, it was Sunday, and I sat down on the couch with a uh, six pack of beer to go ahead and drown my pain away. And I was about two or three beers in, and I just broke down and started crying because my knees were throbbing so much. And I went into the whole, you know, why me? Like, why did I have to love strength conditioning and weightlifting, And why do I have to love activity so much when my knees give me nothing but pain? And when I was done with that little pity party, I said, you know what? If people can't help me, I got to help myself. I need to find a way to fix myself and get rid of this pain. So I ended up doing just that. And it took two or three years and probably about 30 to $40,000 to realize that nobody was going to be able to fix me, but me. So one of the things that I do today is I take the power or take the pain that takes the power away from the individual. And I show them how they can actually help themselves get better. The people that live down here in South Florida, they can come over and obviously get work done by me. But I also work with several people via the computer and we'll get into the facial maneuvers later on in the conversation, I'm sure. But I help people understand what is mechanistically true in the human body when it comes to pain and how easily you can get rid of it as long as you understand the map of the human body and where some easy buttons are and structurally how to create balance or alignment. And when you do that, I mean, you know, adhesions, pain, they just melt away and it's rather miraculous.
0: That is so true and, and pretty amazing too. Can you talk a little bit about how sometimes where you feel the pain is not actually the point or the cause of where the cause of the pain?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have this absolutely remarkable substance in our body uh, called fascia. Okay, and fascia is connected to everything, it is one gigantic organ inside of our body that wraps around our bone our nerves our blood vessels it wraps around our fat cells it wraps around our organs okay and what fascia is is truly our structure so when you're talking about my elbow hurts it might be a tricep muscle or i pulled my hamstring so my leg hurts when you're talking about muscle or when you're talking about nerve You're not really talking about what's mechanistically true in the human body. Yes, muscles and nerves, they do play a part, but what they are is they're like carrier pigeons, okay? And they get a message from the fascia, okay, that then is sent to the brain, and the brain sends it down to the muscle and the nerve. And when you're working with the muscle and the nerve, you're just working with symptoms, okay? So you have somebody who comes in, they have knee pain, like I had. I found that all of my knee pain, most of it was quad pain, okay, so the the muscles of my upper leg, my quadricep, and I also had a tremendous amount of pain in my adductor and a little bit in my hamstring as well. Now, how does that correlate to knee pain? Well, the fascia really cares about the joints, but doesn't really care about the muscles, So when we have a problem with the muscle, what ends up happening through adhesions or trigger points is the body will send pain into a joint in order to get you to stop using the muscle, not the joint. But we're forced to stop using the joint because there's pain there. So what that does is the fascia of the muscle that is irritated is now getting the break that the body needs because the fascia senses instability. Okay, it creates pain, the pain goes into the knee, said person says, I'm not going to be able to run, jump or squat anymore, problem solved, you're protected. In my book, the back pain Bible, I call this uh, wireless pain. So it's kind of like you have a leaking shower, and uh, the plumber comes in, he goes and flips a couple switches in your breaker panel. And all of a sudden, the shower stops leaking. (laughs) And you're like, you're like, wait a minute, like, how did you do that? So there are a lot of times people come in and they say, I have back pain. And I do a quick assessment. I say, no, you don't. You have butt pain. People will come in and they say, my shoulder is killing me. And I say, you know what? I've been doing this for 15 years. I've never once worked on somebody's shoulder ever for shoulder pain. I've worked on the rotator cuffs. Okay. I've worked on the chest muscles. I've worked on the neck muscles. All right. And it all comes down to is the joint stable enough for us to use it in the fashion that we do day in and day out. So our level of pain typically is dictated by our level of activity. And I tell people that there are no old people in this world. There is only old fascia. If we are not maintaining this beautiful crystalline substance that sits underneath our skin and connects everything to everything. It is going to get tight, movement gets restricted, we develop overcompensation patterns, and then pain comes seemingly from out of nowhere. And people are like, I have no idea why this happened. Well, talk to me a little bit about your life. Do you have any, any big falls, slips, car crashes, ever, anything like that in your life? And people will be like, no, no, I n- nothing ever happened like that to me. And I go, oh, okay, well, you know, it may have just been created through regular movement. So session number two or three, said person will come back and they'll be like, you know what, I talked to my wife or my husband or my significant other or my friend or my mom or dad, I slipped on the pool nine years ago. And I fell right on my butt on my right butt cheek. And it was sore for probably like, three or four weeks. (laughs) And, And you know, this person came in with back pain. And I said, think about this. So we have two butt cheeks, but we only have one back and our body works in the next pattern. So if the right butt cheek, if you fall on the pool deck and there's trauma in the fascial area, okay. And the muscle starts to get really tight and spasm out and everything like that, because it was such a hard fall, we are not going to be able to transfer force from the right leg to the left side back very well. So what your body does is it preferentially will use the left leg now for a lot more effort. For anything that you're doing, bending down to pick something up, if you're squatting, if you're walking, if you're running, going upstairs, going downstairs, okay? And we don't feel this very slow shift to this overcompensation pattern. So then all of a sudden we wake up nine years later and it's like, gosh, man, like where? why is this happening to my back? Like my back's a little rusty, like it's just tight. You know, and we ignore it. Okay. And then it starts to really have a lot of pain, maybe one day, but then it goes away two or three days later. And then it starts to be a little bit more chronic where we're feeling it for about three to five days, but then it'll go away for a day or two. So we go to the chiropractor and the chiropractor adjusts the spine. Okay. That feels a lot better. Well, what's attached to the spine, but the fascia and the muscles. So is the spine rotating and subluxing? itself just because it wants to or do we have inconsistencies in the fascia and the muscle and we have bad patterns that are firing okay because everything's adaptable in the human body so now all of a sudden we start to get this really bad compensation pattern that just goes on for years and years and years and the language of health in the human body is space that's it. Space. If we have space, cells breathe. The terminal end of a capillary, no matter where it's going, is literally the size of a single blood cell. So you're telling me that you don't think after 40 or 50 years of being on this planet, that you may have developed a tight region that's choking off that blood vessel. Oxygen isn't being delivered. The proper nutrients aren't going to where they're supposed to. There's just a huge backlog of a whole bunch of trash from metabolic energy production in the area. And what ends up happening is tightness then becomes predicated by weakness. So the area gets weak because it's not getting enough food, enough nutrients. And then it starts to get tight because there's instability and the tightness creates more weakness and the weakness creates more tightness and you have this negative feedback loop. That eventually will produce pain. It just takes a really long time to get there. In some cases, I tell people the issue you have has been developing for 15 years and they're like, Oh my gosh, I fell downstairs like 15 years ago. And I said, yeah, you know, there it is. So there are a whole bunch of things that can occur in the human body. I mean, you know, not sleeping well, not eating well, lifting with poor form running too much, doing too many rotational sports. I tell people in my back pain Bible, the difference between stress, you stress in the body, and then distress. If you play golf and tennis, that's distress because they're both rotational. So your body's never getting a break from this same pattern over and over. If you like sleeping on the couch and swimming, same thing. Swimming is wonderful, but they're both in the horizontal plane And couches are absolutely horrendous for the body to sleep on. They can be super comfy for like an hour or two. You got your little blanket and your pillow and you're all snuggled up watching Netflix and everything's great. But a lot of times you get up off the couch and it's just like, ugh, like you're super rusty, super stiff after because there's no support. So these are all things that, that we can unpack moving forward. I feel like I may have gotten a little bit ahead of the topic that you asked, but that's the nature of the beast. The body is so incredibly simple at times, but it's so incredibly complex at the same time as well. And it takes a really long time and a lot of experience to figure these things out as you go along, and then also be able to explain them to people on like a second or third grade level. I don't want this to be a physiology lesson.
0: Yeah, I think too, just kind of going back to the repetitive motions, I see this a lot in runners too, where some of you would be like, well, yeah, I've been able to run all of these 5Ks pain-free. And then suddenly they get into training for a marathon and all of these injuries surface. Yes. And its I always think it's probably because they've had some movement patterns that aren't ideal. And then as you increase your mileage... It's just magnifying. Sure. That.
1: That's 100% correct. I had a CrossFit gym for three years, and I ran it as a physical therapy clinic. So people would come in, and I would say, what hurts? You know, and a majority of people would have aches and pains, about 80 to 85% of them, and about 15% of people would say, nothing hurts, I feel fine. And I would say, okay, well, you know, you're going to still come over here, and we're going to do this exercise I'm going to show you how to roll out your IT bands or we're going to get a ball, a lacrosse ball on your glutes. And they still have pain. They're like, oh my gosh, that's really, really bad. And a lot of times when people hear the word CrossFit, they're going to scoff like, oh gosh, like that's all this guy's going to talk about now. And they just, they're so elitist and they think they're so cool and strong and whatever, but they always get injured. Right. And, and the thing about CrossFit is everybody hears about the injuries, And I tell people, I go, CrossFit does not create injuries. CrossFit, just like you're explaining, an increase in activity is going to expose the current injuries that you have. And we don't know how healthy the fascia, muscle and nerve or tendons are in our body until we apply pressure. Pressure dictates the health of tissue in the body. So if I grab your forearm, And I squeeze it really hard and there's no problem in your forearm. Then you're just going to be like, that's uncomfortable. Like that kind of hurts, but you're not going to be like in uber amounts of pain, you know, like jumping through the roof and screaming like, Oh my gosh. Where if you come to me with knee pain and I find an adhesion somewhere in your quad or your adductor and I apply pressure, I guarantee you it becomes infinitely more uncomfortable. Then you just relaxing there or me just putting pressure on your body and it'll probably replicate the pain that you have whenever you're doing an exercise that creates it. Okay. And it all comes down to pressure. The more pressure is created by the increased mileage, those trigger points or adhesions get tighter and tighter and tighter. And then you start having more and more problems as your mileage increases. So all that this comes down to is we maintain almost everything in our life. We'll maintain our clothes by washing them and pressing them. We'll maintain our house by cleaning it. We'll maintain our lawn by cutting it. We'll maintain our cars by taking it to get new oil change or brakes or tires or something like that, or even washing it, right? But people will literally, literally, I mean, I've seen some people in my practice where they're like, I've never had a massage, let alone a dude touch me. So this is going to be weird. (laughs) And I'm just like, we're taught that exercise and rest is really all we need for the health of the human body. But what people don't, they miss the mark with what is mechanistically true in the human body, because exercise has a fallacy of building us up. But exercise is first catabolic. So when you go and exercise, weights or running, it doesn't matter, riding a bike, anything that's going to increase your heart rate and break down a little bit of muscle tissue, your muscle tissue first breaks down. So how do we make sure that it repairs itself correctly? And how do we make sure that you're ready for the next session that you perform? And that occurs with the soft tissue maintenance of the human body using lacrosse balls, baseballs, softballs, foam rollers, bands, I mean, to anything that you can buy in the form of a mobility device and then use to create pressure on your body. And that's it. It's just taking care of your fascia and your tissue through either human touch or the presence of outside mobility device.
0: So, what should people be doing? Do we foam roll our entire body every day? Where do we start?
1: So, we start with. Anything that we feel is either tight or rusty in the body, if you're constantly getting up and it's like, man, my, my hip is just a little bit tight or a little bit sore, or every time I go for a walk, by the time I'm done with, with the walk, my right foot will hurt. You know, it's simple areas like that where, okay, a typical person would say, I probably need to get a ball on my foot. And I would say, no, first get it into your calf because that is what's tightening up, creating pressure in the foot. So I get rid of a lot of plantar fasciitis by working in the hip, the hamstring, and the calf. And then it's like a couple minutes in the foot. And they're like, you barely even touched my foot, but it feels amazing because that wasn't the original problem. So we want to look upstream or downstream from that area and find anything that's tight, tender, or sore. And then we can roll on it for typically about Three to four minutes. it takes two minutes of pressure or rolling to create what is called hyaluronic acid in the tissue or surrounding the joint. And what hyalonic acid does, it's kind of like an oil. It's like WD40 for your car. So this oil, as you create more friction and heat when you're rolling, starts to melt the adhesions or trigger points that we have in the tissue. But it takes two minutes to get there. So I'll have a lot of people come in, and they'll be like, well, you know, my chiropractor or my doctor said no longer than 30 seconds rolling on the foam roller. And I realized that they don't have time probably to educate themselves on the truth of of what is mechanistically true in the human body. They're too worried about disease and several other things. But 30 seconds of rolling on a foam roller or a ball is not going to give the body what it needs to get started to return back to balance. You see? So the easiest thing that I could say, going back to your question, is whatever you feel is sore, look upstream, look up in the body, and also look downstream, look down in the body, and just apply easy pressure. When you find something that's tight, tender, or sore, and then you want to spend typically any more than two minutes on it, okay? If you do two minutes, you're doing just the bare minimum, so you're going to get the bare minimum of results.
0: Okay. So talk to me about the whole, I know that there's so many varying opinions on this, the IT band. Mm-hmm. Is it worthwhile to roll and use a ball on your IT band? I've heard people say that that it's so dense that mm-hmm. your little foam roller isn't going to do any good. And you should focus on the muscles on either side of that. Yeah. What, talk to us just about that whole idea.
1: So once again, when we're talking about IT bands or muscles, my friend Joel Green puts it very, very eloquently, and he calls it baby talk. All right. So what we're actually talking about when we have a tight IT band would be tight fascia of the IT band. Okay. Right. Okay. Because the fascia has an infinite capability to contract and hold where muscles do not have the ability to expand. Now, that sounds kind of funny. Like, what are you talking about? My muscles can expand and contract all the time. But when we attach something like when we're using a stem machine, and we have electricity applied to the muscle, it only contracts. It doesn't contract and relax, it relaxes when there is no more electricity going into the muscle. So When we look at fascia, fascia is really the only thing that has the true ability to expand. And as the fascia gets tighter and tighter, what happens is the IT band and the nerves and everything start to compress and create pain. And we get what's called IT band syndrome. Lots of clicking and popping at the knee, lots and lots of pain. I mean, it'll make even the toughest person stop running and whatnot. But when you look at what is really happening behind the scenes as well, The compression of that IT band creates a lot of trigger points. I think there's about 12 or 13 that develop in the vastus lateralis musculature, which is underneath the IT band. So I have a video on YouTube and I show people how to rake your IT band rather than just roll it. Okay. And when we rake something, what does that see? It seems like we're going a lot slower and we're gathering a lot more fascia, a lot more tissue as we're going from hip to knee. And then you can also use a device called a SoRite or you can use something like softball where you're sitting on the ground and you're really just rotating your legs slightly. And what's happening is either the peak of the SoRite or the softball gets up underneath that IT band and directly stimulates that vastus lateralis muscle. And I mean, Kim, when I help people, when I get into it on a table... It's the most sore thing in the human body when people have it really, really bad that people instantly go into a full sweat, turn purple Mm -hmm. and just be like, my goodness, what is that? And it's just a very, the IT band can support something like 3,600 pounds of force, something like that. I mean, it's a gigantic leather strap that's not really supposed to move. It's supposed to just say one happy length. All right. So of the people that you speak to, yeah, yeah they're correct. You know, the, the IT band really isn't supposed to do too much except stabilize the hip and the knee. So when it gets compressed and starts to get short, it's a very, very thick, fibrous piece of tissue. It doesn't want to go anywhere. So when it's being dragged away from a joint, that joint is more than likely going to come with it. And then that joint, the bursa sacs, everything underneath is not going to be very happy and then we get uber amounts of pain. So going back to what you said about a foam roller doesn't really do anything, that's incorrect. A foam roller will do something. Is it going to be optimal? Are you going to be able to restore all the fascia and the tissue between those two joint junctions of the hip and the knee? Probably not, but it's better than nothing. So I don't like this. People come in and be like, oh, you're a big tough crossfitter. So you probably don't like that. I just do yoga or Pilates. And I'm like, I don't care. As long as you're moving your body, you do whatever is healthy for you. I just want you to move. Like that's the primary thing. Just move your body and you're going to be a lot healthier than the people who just sit on the couch all day.
0: Right. So another thing, maybe we need to backtrack a little bit too. Fascia, talking about what it is, because It seems like, you know, we all grew up in school learning about muscles and joints and nerves, but fascia was never something that was taught or talked about. And I don't even know if it's still really is being taught in schools. Can you address that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So anybody that says they understand fascia, I don't know. They must be touched by the hand of God (laughs) if that's the case. I don't want to sit here and I tell, I say this on every podcast that the like, I actually understand it. All I know is that I have the benefit of studying it and then also working with it, where a lot of scientists, all they're doing is studying it. And when it comes down to study, one of our biggest faults as scientists and physiologists and human beings was that we were studying dead fascia. So fascia, number one is developed within two weeks of your conception. So within two weeks of being just a tiny little zygote, your fascial system is already starting to develop. And it is with you until the day you die. You cannot extract fascia from the human body. You just cannot you can take a heart out, you can take two thirds of a liver out, you can take a lung out or a kidney. All right, so you can take organs and whatnot out if you can't take fascia out, which is more important, an organ or the fascia? So we look at fascia as being like, okay, if that can't be removed from the human body, that's pretty important. Now, when you look at fascia in a cadaver, it's just kind of like this leathery, like dried up, crappy stuff. And what happens in those anatomy classes is they're like, cut the skin open, remove the fascia, and throw it in the garbage. Mm-hmm. And then in the late 1990s, a French hand surgeon by the name of Jean-Claude Gimberto started sticking microscopes underneath the skin of his patients. And as he pulled the skin away, he would take pictures with the microscope. And he started to realize human living fascia is just completely different than dead fascia in a cadaver. Okay. So... I think in 2008 or 2009, the first fascia conference took place in Boston. And they came to the conclusion that the meeting of the minds came to the conclusion that we probably know about 4% of what fascia really is and what it really does. And that's kind of alarming, Mm -hmm. right? So I would think that we know more about the oceans and that we know more about the universe, possibly, than we even do about this wonderful crystalline web like structure in our body called fascia. So fascia is heavily tied to our immune system, a majority of the components, like mastocytes, adipocytes, macrophages, leukocytes and telecytes, they all talk directly to the immune system. In 1899, The godfather of uh, osteopathy, Andrew Taylor Still, said, to understand the nature of all disease, one must first look to the fascia.
0: Hmm.
1: This is in 1899, Kim. So if we think that like fascia is like a new subject, no, all it has been is a disregarded subject because we never got the chance to really study it or understand it. In living people. We only would see it in a cadaver and be like, oh, wow, it connects everything to everything. And I guess that's cool, but it's not really moving too much now. It's not really doing too much now. So as we start to dive into a little bit more of what fascia is and what fascia does, what we start to understand is that fascia really responds to perception. And it responds to the perception of your everyday environment. This is how it protects you. So if you wake up and you're a same shit different day dude or gal, what ends up happening is your myofascial system lives in a perpetual state of stress because you don't like your job. You don't like your car. You don't like where you live. Maybe you don't like your significant other, your husband, your wife, etc., your family, Maybe you don't like your living situation. Maybe you don't like your dog. Maybe you don't like where you go to school or the subjects that you're learning. This type of angst or stress is translated as an attack on the body by the fascia. The fascia gets stressed out. We start to overproduce hormones, specific hormones that create more stress. Things get tighter and tighter and tighter in the human body. And then we start developing pain. And we have no idea where it comes from, okay? And like I said, fascia has a infinite ability to contract, but it has a limited ability to expand. For the most part, we're starting to find out that this may not even be the case, that by doing certain things and treating the fascia in a specific way, you actually can get it to expand. That might be for a different day or a different call, but... When we look at fascia from a contractual standpoint, it has an infinite ability to just keep on pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. So let's say I'm a type of person that holds a lot of anger in my life, spite and resentment, and it's just burning constantly in this solar plexus here. Like whenever I get angry, this area just lights up. Well, the fascia starts to pull and twist and get tighter and tighter. And by the time I'm 45 or 50, guess what? I'm on high blood pressure medication. Now... When we look at the heart, the heart is a muscle, and it is surrounded by what we call the pericardium. The pericardium is the fascia of the heart, a webbing. So a lot of people say that the heart pumps blood, and this is incorrect. What we are in the human body is we are a collection of hydraulic tubes that suck and move around. And what I feel is that the heart The way those cells developed or evolved have one job, and that is to expand as the blood comes in. And then what the fascia does is contract and then push the blood out to the rest of the body, all right? So if I'm constantly angry and I have all this turmoil in my life every single day and that pericardium gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, Let's think about this for a second. If the hydraulics thesis that I just proposed is true, then that would mean that the heart, as it expanded, would have to use a lot more pressure to do so. So when we look at a hydraulic arm or something like that, when it moves, those tubes expand, they get really hard, and then when it's not moving, those tubes relax, okay? So it's the same thing in the human body. As that pericardium gets tighter and tighter because of the emotions and the stress that we hold from our perception of what's going on in our environment, the muscles of the heart and the fascia get super stressed out. They have to pump harder. Our blood pressure goes up and then we got to start taking medication. We take chemical solution for a mechanical problem or a hydromechanical problem. You see what I'm saying? I do. So while it works, we are not necessarily working with what is mechanistically true in the human body. And I had the opportunity to work on two people who had extraordinarily tight fascia in their chest and their sternum. They went through some really, really terrible emotional trauma in their life. They had vertigo, just a lot of dizziness like TMJ and things like that. And as I started to scar down the fascia on their uh, sternum and chest area, and we started to talk about more about what was emotionally going on in their life, what ended up happening to one of those people was like, dude, would you realize that I went to my doctor because I was having issues with my heart again? And when he did all of his tests, he realized that I didn't have to be on my blood pressure medication anymore. And I was like, really? And that's what started. That's what kind of like kickstarted this idea that, okay, if there is a pericardium and there's fascia surrounding the heart and the heart is a muscle, it's just like the fascia of the hamstring. So if the fascia of the hamstring gets tight, I have a tight hamstring. Everybody says, I have a tight hamstring. I go and do sprints. Hamstring spasms, it's black and blue. I can't run for three weeks. So we have a muscle that's actually pumping blood and oxygen to the rest of our body. If that gets super duper tight, is there just maybe a 1% chance that that would increase blood pressure? For okay. sure. For sure. Right. I mean, we're just looking, I'm just asking for a 1% chance just to help make sense out of all this. So to have that happen, I mean, I've, worked with people and they've had you know splitting headaches for a really long time and i open up the fascia around the eyes and the skull and the neck and they go back to their ophthalmologists or optometrists because they think that they have to get a thicker prescription or a different prescription and this actually occurred with my wife and a couple of my other clients and uh, the doctor was like your vision didn't get worse it got better (laughs) and my one client who lives up in Ohio I'm in South Florida she actually said that her optometrist was like mad and she's like like whatever you're doing I don't know what you're doing I don't know what you're doing but your eyesight actually got better and she was talking about me and how I was doing all these maneuvers and everything for her face and for her skull and resetting her sphenoid bone and just removing all of this stress from the ocular cavity And think about it, fascia, so as it gets tighter and tighter, if we're constantly having heart issues or emotional trauma or something like that, everything gets closer and closer, the head gets closer to the shoulders, the shoulders get closer to the ears, the heart and everything, the chest gets closer to the chin, and we just get this big ball of tightness. And as we get that to expand, the eyes have less pressure, the jaw has less pressure, okay, so on and so forth. So to me, like Andrew Taylor still said a very long time ago, when you have these seemingly unpopular issues arise in the body like vertigo or TMJ, you know, even motion sickness in a car, somebody tells you you need a hip replacement or something like that, all that, everything just to me screams tight fascia. You have bursitis, you have tendinitis, patellofemoral syndrome, rotator cuff. Tendinitis, anything in the human body, for me, it just screams that all it is, is tight fashion.
0: So I love this topic. And I feel like I could just keep asking you questions about this all day. But for the people who are like, Oh, my gosh, this is me, I totally see myself in this. Mm-hmm. Where do they go? They can work with you. You have online yep. programs, too?
1: Absolutely. Yes. I work with people one on one. So people can contact me and we get into, we do, we do a couple of things first. First, we kind of have like a discovery call, it's no charge. And what I really want to make sure is just that the person I'm working with is right to work with me and I'm right to work with them. It, typically, I tell people, if the sound of my voice or the things that I'm saying, you're listening to and you're kind of scoffing at, you're like, oh, this guy, come on, this guy's nuts. Like Thinking like that, we're probably not working, we're, we're probably not right to work together. Then there's going to be a majority of people where I've touched on things in their body and they're like, how does this dude know what's going on to me right now? Those are my ideal clients because in order for you to get better with my assistance, we first have to have the same ideology about the body. If you think it works one way and I'm trying to help you make it work another, uh, those ideals are going to conflict. It's different energy. It's not going to work. So a majority of people, I would probably say 98%, just like in my practice, they're here, they love what I do, and my approach to helping restore the body and help it move and feel younger, majority of people really like how I do that. And then every year, one, two, three people, we have a couple of sessions, and they're like, you know what, I just don't think it's working for me. And I say, okay, you know, and we're still friends, things like that. And everything's fine. You know, what there is, is there, there's no pressure. You have to want to get better if you're going to work with me, because a lot of things that I am going to ask you to do, I can't force you to do, like have better sleep habits. And I have a whole, I have PDFs upon PDFs and, and programs upon programs to help you sleep better. And, What do we know about sleep and stress? If you don't get enough of one, you start to have a lot more of the other. Mm -hmm. And then that fascial system gets tighter and tighter. Our pain gets amplified. And then that starts to spill over into our relationships. I mean, some of the people that I work with, their husband or their wife, they will call me after and they're in tears and they say, you gave me my husband back. Like, I didn't know who this dude was for the last three years. I mean, he was not the person I married. And I was like, pain changes, people. They, it changed me. It changed me a lot. When I was going through all that knee pain, I shoveled a lot of doo-doo on my girlfriends, you know, and was just like, it's all your fault. But what I was doing was giving them all of my pain and saying, here, can you take it, please? Because I'm sick of it. And then all of a sudden, as I got rid of my pain, everything was aloha. And I was like, I just, I wake wake up every day and I'm like, I'm in love with life. I love where I live and I love what I do. And I, I, love, I love the grass and I love the trees. And all of a sudden, you kind of become like this pixie dust and fairy child. And the reason why I want to get my message out to as many people as possible is because I want the world to be happier and healthier. Okay, a lot of fear, a lot of fear going on right now with everything that's happening. And what I'm finding is that people are unconsciously running this program of fear in their body. And it's starting to arise as things like heart palpitations or a stabbing feeling in the chest or just unbelievable migraines and things like that. And what happens when we harbor a lot of fear? The body wants to protect. So it makes itself small. All right. And then all of a sudden we have everything in our chest our heart, our throat chakras, everything starts to collapse. And we start to get pain and problems and a lot more stress as a result.
0: Totally makes sense to me. So if somebody is like, you know, I like what he's saying, but I really want somebody local that can put their actual hands on my body and do the work. Mm-hmm. Who are they looking for? Is it a chiropractor? Is it something different? What kind of person are they so- supposed to be looking for?
1: Two things. I would still have them contact me so we can go through all 10 fascial maneuvers. We'll talk about that in a second. And then the people that I usually recommend to go and find is anybody that is certified by Eric Dalton. That's the way I learned first through Eric Dalton and ended up getting one of his certifications. And then I started to just develop my own techniques moving forward. So... If you're going to want to work with somebody like me locally in your area, look for an Eric Dalton certified practitioner. He works a lot more with fashion, understands pathways in the human body and these easy buttons and everything like that. But really what my pride and joy is right now, I've been very good friends with uh, Gary Lineham and the human garage family for a while now. And Gary, uh, he's been working with fascia and human tissue for about 25 years now, and what him and his team developed is a series of movements that we would like for a better ease of understanding. They call it the new yoga or fascial maneuvers. Okay. okay now, what fascial maneuvers do? The the way that we get fascia to respond in order to relax or unwind is through pressure. Well, if you don't understand. Easy buttons in the body and how to use pressure to do that, you're kind of out of luck. Well, what we find fascia wraps, fascia rotates, fascia twists in the human body. And what Gary and his team have figured out is that if you can get as close to a fetal position as possible while you're doing movement, fascia understands this as a healing pose. Hmm. Okay, so fascia heals two Ways. It's what we call piezoelectric, which means that it actually responds to your breath. That's number one. And then it's hydromechanical. So it ends up healing itself. And I've told people for a very long time your body heals through movement. Somebody comes in with a bum, hip, or a knee, or an ankle. When can I get back to doing X, Y, Z? And I say, number one, your body's going to tell you. And I said, number two, what I want you to do is just do those things, but on a dumbed down level or scale. Okay, so if you are running constantly, but your knee is killing you, walk at an incline on a treadmill, something like that. So our fascia heals in two distinct ways, the closer that we can get to a fetal position and through movement. So that's what these maneuvers are all about. And think about this for a second. When you have an upset stomach, what is your first inclination to do? I want to lay down. My arms cross over and my knees come closer to my chest Mm -hmm. because we have the greatest concentration of fascia in our abdomen. It's attached to our abdominal wall. It's attached and wraps all of our organs, the major arteries that are coming down from the heart and everything. The greatest concentration of fascia is in our abdomen. So when we get an upset stomach, we're down for the count. And what do we do? we get into a fetal position to feel better. You're not going to stand up and, you know, like the Pearl Jam happy man or whatever. And, and you know, arms and legs, you're, oh man, my stomach's really killing me. You're, you're, <laughs> you're going down onto the bed. Elbows are coming in, knees are coming in. You're just like, and you actually start to feel comforted. You may not feel better, but you start to feel more comfortable, right? And then whatever has to work itself out in there as it slowly starts going away. But that is our natural position. It's all based on the way that we developed in the womb.
0: Well, you have any final words for the audience before we wrap this show up?
1: Any final words? The only reason why I get to say this is because I have been through my fair share of pain and then some in my life. And I'm talking about myofascial pain. I could even say emotional pain. We everybody is, you know. It's like you think that your case is so incredibly bad, and then you hear about somebody who has it worse, and you're just Mm -hmm. like, "I'm glad I'm not that person," right? But in the moment when we have pain or when we have problems, we take them very, very seriously, right? And some of them maybe they need to be taken seriously. I mean, if you. I don't know, it just fell off of a stool and you you broke your leg and your tibia is sticking out of your skin, that needs to be taken very seriously, okay? But what I employ people to do is to create a shift in their life to where their pain is not so serious. And people know, like when they start working with me, it probably for the entire hour session, I do nothing but focus on getting them to laugh and more importantly, laugh about their own pain. And what we're doing is we're trying to make a shift in the emotional perception that the fascia has of this is a hindrance, it's wrecking my entire life. I wake up every day and it's there, I go to bed and it's there, it's crippling me. And I then start to help people talk more intelligently about their pain. Rather than saying, man, my knee is killing me today, and that's all you're thinking about 86,000 times throughout the day, my knee is killing me, my knee is killing me, I tell people I don't know your knee isn't killing you, your fascia is merely trying to tell you that we have healing to go in the body, that we have healing to do in the body, okay? So instead of thinking about my knee is killing me, I want you to think about I need to heal the fascia of my leg, or I need to heal the fascia of my knee like, think about it that way. And then, you know, like I said, when I'm working on people, I just try to get them out of this very dark cave that they're in, due to the persistence of the pain that they've had. So my advice is, I don't care what you do, if you have to watch comedy, movies, or or whatever, try to not take your pain as seriously as you have in the past. Mm. And you're going to notice a load lighten up. And you're, you're definitely going to feel better.
0: Such great advice. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really love talking with you.
1: My pleasure, Kim. Thank you so much. And I really hope that everybody out there who listened to me today got a little bit different of a perspective on the human body and that it helps you to live a happier and healthier life moving forward.
0: Thank you for joining me for season four of Power Up Your Performance. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, review, and follow. Dream big and get out there and explore.